Welcome to Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, corporate beliefs, and ESG, brought to you by Baker. In every episode, we'll investigate how purpose, vision, and values can guide your company's sustainability actions, behaviors, and mindsets. And we'll discuss their impact with the help of ESG-focused guests from around the globe. I'm your host, Rocket. And I'm your host, Gary. Let's get started. Today, we're speaking with Jessica Peggiotto. Jessica, welcome to Sustainable Minds. Thank you for having me. We're thrilled to have you. I'm going to share some background on you, but I'd love to go. I'm going to want to get into some of the stuff with you here. So, Jessica is an advocate for sustainability, climate action, healthy living, fitness, and getting people outside. And she's passionate about promoting a sustainable future. She has experience in a wide range of industries. And most of her work has revolved around sustainability, ESG, and climate change. You are the sustainability manager at JLL. And I know commercial real estate, so I know that stands for Jones LaSalle Lang or Jones Lang LaSalle. Jones Lang LaSalle. Yeah. 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 So that's really interesting. Previous to these two new gigs, you spent six years at Celestica. And you were sustainability manager and a sustainability specialist over the years there. Celestica is, is a leader in high reliability design, manufacturing, and supply chain solutions that bring global expertise at every stage of the product development, from the drawing board to full-scale production and aftermarket services. You have a bachelor's in environmental studies and environment and business for the University of Waterloo. And in 2019, you were honored with being the top 30, under 30 sustainability leaders in Canada. That's fantastic. Welcome. Thanks. Sustainable Lines. Yeah. So I always like to start kind of personal. Sure. Yeah. How did you arrive here? What did you like to do when you were young? And it could be something different than how you arrived here. But when you were a kid... What did you dream of or what did you spend your time doing? So as a kid, I actually used to do canoe trips. I used to go to camp as a girl guide and I really liked the arts programs. I kind of liked a little bit of the sports things, but I really enjoyed just being outside and camping and going into the middle of nature. And through that experience, I learned a lot of leadership skills, which was really transferable. But I also learned a lot about all the different parts of ecosystems. I used to be the mushroom expert. So I would teach all of the other girls about mushrooms. Someone else would be a cloud expert and another would be an expert on trees. And we all taught each other about all of our different specializations and kind of learned how ecosystems work and how everything relates to each other. And then jumping back after camp, I would come home living in Toronto in a big city and see how the city impacts these maybe non-existent ecosystems or natural spaces within a city and really feeling that impact on a personal level and really kind of understanding what development means. And then at a pretty young age, I learned about climate change I learned about, I was kind of this little environmentalist 
turned vegetarian at a very young age for environmental reasons, led a bunch of clubs in high school. The green team had a recycling team. I went around classes teaching about recycling and we did all these fundraisers about these natural spaces in Toronto to try and protect them. And then I also really had a big interest on the business side. My Dad, at a young age, used to have me help him work at this place called the Canadian Management Centre, which basically educates leaders and senior leaders. And I would help him. But part of that was that he would play these leadership videos. So I'd learn about managing. I'd learn about being a leader at like, I don't know, 12, 14 years old, very young. And then these two things were happening concurrently. And I really had an interest in in business, but also on the environment side of things. And so for university, I studied environment and business and then learned all about sustainability and learned about how to really integrate those things together and did various co-op positions from there and then worked at Celestica in sustainability and am now at JLL and seconded to Allied Reed. That's a perfect script somebody wrote for you, right? (laughs) That you were able to out there. And I imagine you still enjoy the great outdoors a lot. Definitely. And I think it's so important for people to get outside and understand the earth that we live in and its beauty and how everything works together. And it really leads to people living more sustainable lives and understanding what the impacts are. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. So spent six years at Celestica. You did a lot. I'm going to go back and talk about that. But why the change? Well, I was at Celestica for quite a long time. So six and a half years is quite a while. And I learned so much about electronics manufacturing. I learned, I saw so much progression in their sustainability journey within that time frame. And I worked on so many projects and really kind of realized that there's other businesses, there's other corporations that could use my knowledge as well and that are starting at an earlier stage. And so I was asked to join the team at JLL. I thought it was a really good experience to learn a new industry. So to learn about real estate and apply sustainability within it, but also to kind of advance their program using some of my knowledge And then I'll be going to JLL doing work that I think I'd love to spread my knowledge and help people advance in various different ways. Allied is a REIT. JLL is a brokerage. But I imagine there's a lot of synergies between the two. Definitely. So a lot of the work that I'll be doing, at least within the team at JLL. So JLL has many, many different functions globally. But I'll be on a team that actually will help organizations through consulting services to do sustainability practices, including maybe working on their ESG strategy in different focuses or helping them reduce their energy consumption by looking at different analyses. There's lots of different synergies there. And so I think getting that... First, that experience of what the client is at Allied, getting that knowledge of how they actually think, how the business works in a real estate company, how um, they their organizational structure is, that will be really applicable to helping put in place strategies at similar companies because I'll have that understanding. 
Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. So I want to jump back to Celestica. You worked there for six years and you posted a very heartfelt post. I saw on your, on your LinkedIn. You talked about the last yeah. week over six years, you had to say goodbye. You never thought leaving a job could be so hard, but you've loved working with so many wonderful people and, and growing the sustainability program. So just tell us about that experience. And yeah, I'm curious about that experience, the growth. I'm curious about the culture there and what drives the culture. Sure. Firstly, in terms of connections and the relationships built, Celeska is a global company. We operate in many different countries around the world. And so part of my position was connecting with people at these different facilities globally. Maybe I'd be on a call with someone in Thailand or in Romania, Mexico, the US, but everyone has different experiences personally and experiences at their facilities. Everyone has different challenges. And it was always a lot of problem solving and a lot of trying to figure out how to solve maybe an engagement problem or maybe learning from one facility to then translate it to another site and just really doing a lot of those sorts of stakeholder pieces. Also, a lot of the role is just connecting with people throughout the organization. So every department has sustainability uh, needs, there's pieces that they can work on. And that's something I do here too, is just meeting with various different teams to better understand the way that they work and how to implement sustainability. And a lot of the work at Celestica was the same thing. And so by being in a role such as sustainability, and you're connected to so many areas of the business, I was connected to so many different cultures, different people around the world, and learning how to interact with all those different cultures was really, really interesting, really great experience. And so it was really difficult to leave knowing that there were lots of people that I can learn from, lots of people that you can integrate sustainability in their positions or their roles and the impact that you can make in that sense as well. And not only within Celestica as well, we did a lot of education about sustainability topics in general with these people. So the impact that could potentially happen from that is even broader than just what's happening at the company, of course, because we had so many manufacturing people throughout our facilities around the world. So it's trying to get that knowledge disseminated around, for example, Sleska hosts a waste reduction week every year. It's about, of course, reducing your waste, but it's also about education that you should hopefully be able to take home. And so it was primarily led by my coworker who did an amazing job every year. And it's just seeing those sorts of engagement pieces and impacts that you can have not only within our facility in Canada or the States, very similar, but across the globe. And there are different challenges as well. One of our clients is a manufacturer. They've been around for a while. They have 35,000 employees in 50 countries, maybe similar to what they are. But when the new CEO came in five years ago, sustainability is a huge part of their business. 
he actually brought in sustainability as one of their values. We create a values and ethics training toolkits for them, for their employees globally. What did Celestica do? Because I noticed they talk about their values, but how did it work there that they ingrained that into the culture? Many ways. There's, we, there's so many ways that we worked on ingraining sustainability into the culture. And I think part of it is there's always leadership buy-in for sustainability, but also a lot of on-the-ground buy-in. So each of our facilities had people who were assigned to being a sustainability representative either for energy, waste, and water, or for wellness, EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and the HR pieces like volunteering. So we had different people who learned about the different aspects coming from our central location to then integrate it within their own facilities, but keeping in mind that they're our catalyst. If we went in and told them these things, it may not be as effective as somebody who actually works there and understands their culture and can apply it to the way that they work, to their facilities operations. There's those things that you have to learn in all of the different locations. And so that was one way that it was done. We also had sustainability tied to some awards. So every year they had this big initiative called the Ignition Awards. And one of them was a sustainability award. So if you put in place a really cool project that made a big impact in any of the areas of sustainability, you could win an award, which actually had a dollar amount to it. And you could also go travel to this big, really cool Celestica Ignition Award event. And it's everybody wants to be part of it because it's you get to travel to this place and you get to go on tours. And of course, it's just a really cool way to connect with people as well. We had different policies and documentation, of course, the kind of more <laughs> laid out structure um, posted at all of our sites, all our energy policy, environmental policy. And Prior to me leaving, I helped put in place a energy reduction strategy for each of our facilities that was accountable. And actually, they had to achieve and we put in allowed more CapEx dollars for it and investment in terms of time and, of course, money. And it was and it flowed up to senior management. And it was really a kind of a more targeted approach for energy reduction. Although, of course, ESG is huge. There's so many more things to put in place strategies for, and we did. But I think some of those were different ways where we had a little bit of engagement on all of the different aspects. Fantastic. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's quite involved. I was looking at Celestica's 2021 Sustainability Report, Finding the Way. And I thought it was very well done. Uh, I thought it was very comprehensive, but I thought it was very consumable. Sometimes people try to fit too much into onto a page, and I wanted to read it. I wanted to engage with it. That's just one aspect of reporting, right? Is 
It's full of data and information, but you got to make people want to read it and engage in with it and hopefully tell a story, put it, contextualize it. Were you involved in the report? I was one of the main organizers for a number of years for the sustainability report. So the last, the 2021 report, I had moved to JLL slash Allied prior to it being released, but I did have quite a big hand in that. And we changed it over time, I think, exactly for the reason that you're saying. There used to be a lot of data, a lot of graphs, and there needs to be some of that, of course. And that's one way that people consume data. Some people like that more than other people do. But we wanted to tell the stories. So we have the employee features, the employee spotlights. We have site-based spotlights and stories and honing in on some of the interesting projects that are more volunteering. And it depends on what the reader wants too. Mm -hmm. Do they want to see our actual scope three commuting data? Maybe, but, (laughs) Uh, but there are those values, those metrics that are in there, but we want it to be digestible as well. And not only for external people to read it, but for our employees to be proud of. Now, while you were there, did you break down this report to different communication vehicles, perhaps, to talk to different stakeholders? Obviously, there's an investor uh, stakeholder group. Did you do anything to make this relatable to employees? Definitely. Yeah, part of the employee piece was putting in some of those highlights for certain employees and making sure that we really highlighted some of the internal pieces that we do as well. So if it was just for investors, there may have been stories that we wouldn't have included. But if it was just for employees, same thing. We may not have put in certain things that were for investors. So yeah, definitely a broad, broad based approach to the report. And we follow, of course, GRI, SASB, the UN SDGs, TCFD, like (laughs) all of the different reporting frameworks. Yeah, no, I saw 35 pages uh, of... uh, (laughs) Yeah, Indexes. Yeah, so that's good. Now, so you were honored with top 30 under 30 sustainability leaders in Canada. Why did they recognize you? And I know you got to do a little talking about yourself in this way, but I'm curious why they give you this honor. So I think part of it was a lot of the newer projects that I put in place at Celestica. One of them being the scope three emissions calculation for our science-based targets initiative. So I organized the the calculation of the first scope three inventory, which was a huge project. And at the time, there was even less knowledge about how to do it and just trying to figure it out was a really big piece. And then, of course, setting the science-based target was really key. And it was not at its inception, the science-based target initiative, but it wasn't as popular at the time, I think. Now, there's a lot of companies that have done it. There's a lot more guidance. And so it was really instrumental for us to do it and to say, no, we're setting a target via SBTI, we're going to make a trajectory and this is something that we're going to do. And I think, and plus a lot of the other projects that I managed at Celestco were really important. And I think corporate nights recognize that. And I participate in 
quite a few organizations and do quite a bit of volunteering in my own time. And I think that that was part of what factored into it as well. Just the not only part of my job being focused on sustainability, but a lot of my life as well. I'm just very passionate about it. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> That's fantastic. So I want to know about, you posted and commented on an article, we need to value natural capital. And there was a topic about degrowth versus green growth. I don't know much about that. Educate me on that. Yes. So this is a big topic. I highly recommend reading the book, Donut Economics by Kate Raworth. She dives in a lot about this model called the donut, which basically means staying within our planetary boundaries, but also creating a good society where no one goes hungry, people are not in poverty. So kind of fitting in this middle ground. But part of that is the whole balancing of the economy and degrowth. So our financial models, our measure of success for countries, for companies is always growth. But we know that we can't continue growing. We're reaching or have reached 8 billion people on this planet. If you heard the opening statement today at COP27, Antonio Guterres does mentions this and the fact that we can't continue growing in the way that we have and prevent climate chaos. It's not possible. And so we need to rethink our measure of success from GDP to wellness, to happiness, to some other metrics that aren't being used now instead of growth. And there's, it's beyond complicated because this, <laughs> the stock market is based on growth. Everything we, right, we want to continue consuming. We want to keep building. And especially because there's so many people, but our planet can't sustain that. And which we obviously know. And how do we degrow our economy and maybe bring down our expectations of what we should and could have is difficult. It certainly is. Exactly. Once you have something, you don't want to give it up. But it's that that slow rethinking of, okay, maybe I don't need the latest fashion or maybe I can live with this dishwasher for another year. Or there's like starting to think about those things on an individual level, but then on the company levels of growth, that I think that's the really key piece is how you rethink as a corporation, what the meaning of your company is if it's not growth and when shareholder expectations are for that, how do you change your expectations? How do you change the financial models? <laughs> it's just, it's very complicated. It's very big and very it's complicated. multifaceted yeah. issue, but it's something that we need to start considering. There's no way we can keep going the way that we're going right now as a society. Yeah, that's a whole podcast with the, that's a whole yeah. new 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 title podcast within itself. Yeah. Talk to an expert about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
there were, I read this article published by IBM. I think you may use some of their software when you were at Celestica. And it's called Transforming Sustainability Reporting Across the Manufacturing Portfolio. And it featured how Celestica consolidates and navigates ESG data and streamlines reporting. And you were quoted, now individuals at each of our sites can put data into the IBM Invisi ESG suite and have it compiled and transform it to usable outputs. It's very easy to make mistakes on your own. So data management software helps alleviate some of those errors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us about that a little bit. Definitely. So prior to me beginning my position at Celestica and prior to my manager at the time, he they would use Excel spreadsheets to gather data for electricity, natural gas, diesel, and do the calculations for emissions. And then that would be the output that would get reported on for their emissions. But there's so much room for error and there's a lot of time consumed in that. And it's really difficult to be audited by third party when everything is in spreadsheets as well in terms of including the data entry piece. And so we use this software called Invisi and there's a lot of different software out there that do a similar task and they manage the emissions factors for you. But it meant that each of our facilities had a person responsible for taking the data from their invoices and plugging it into the software each month. And that was what our output would be for say, total energy consumption, total emissions, their waste. It's a lot easier for everyone involved. And it, it left the ownership in their hands, us to validate and the third-party auditor. But it was a lot easier to spot anomalies. It was a lot harder to make mistakes. And then we can get these nice graphs. We can have reports that are easy to filter without having to go to all the different countries for the data to then create our own Excel documents. It's just a lot easier to maintain and organize when people can go in. And then these there's people at the facilities as well that know the data better and they, they can see reductions. They can see if they had a month that was really high and have to justify why their natural gas is twice the amount, (laughs) which doesn't really happen, but it was really cold winter and kind of knowing that relation that if you heat the building more, you're going to consume more and you're going to have higher emissions. And to kind of understand that on that level is also good in terms of accountability. But just having software that will help combine all that data and do the calculations is so much better. There's a lot of products out there to aid in that. So we work with small and medium-sized companies, and many times they're just starting their journey, if you will. So this is a related twofold question. What advice would you give them about starting their journey and then about when it comes to reporting? And I know it could be very overwhelming, but what would it be like just like the top three things they should think about or need to do. For sustainability and reporting? Yeah, for sustainability, trying to think it through their company, trying to think about what that really means, operationalizing this and 
So really doing a materiality assessment, I think is the number one start. So talking to people internally about where they think the biggest impacts the business has on the environment and society, but also where the environment and society impacts the business the most. So it's called double materiality. And so having those conversations, but also doing industry research about what other companies are doing and understanding what's expected from them, both from the customer side of things, maybe from the investor side of things or whichever stakeholders are important to them. And then finding out about what employees value as well. And putting that on a matrix or a ranking system and kind of honing in on what the key topics are. And then doing a baseline assessment is the next step on each of those important topics. So baselining what they're doing and then setting strategies on where they should go. So then setting strategies would mean either setting targets or KPIs and start measuring and create an accountability process for their strategy to improve in those areas. It's really finding out first those key pieces through the assessment before you build out the strategy. And then later down, then down the line is the communication piece, the reporting, the engaging people in it, of course, is huge. But that's all part of the strategy piece. Yeah. Any advice around engaging? Any advice around communicating? Yeah. Understand your audience. What is important to them? What how does sustainability fit into their roles or how do these projects or strategies influence their their day-to-day within their roles or outside of their roles even? How is it important to the business? I think a lot of the times engaging with stakeholders really, you need to kind of have open conversations with them because they might not want additional tasks if that's what that entails and kind of aligning it with their role or with their passions maybe every stakeholder obviously has different motivations so understanding those motivations is really important and tying it even potentially to a personal level or to an emotional level depending on what the topic is that's another interesting good way to engage people fantastic In all of your situations where you've had roles at companies, how do you find is the most effective way to engage and educate, lead the board or the top C-suite? It seems like, especially because working in first in manufacturing and now in more of real estate development, I mean, a lot of those people were the ultimate people of exploitation of resources to expand. So how is the message received by the very top people that really have to get committed? I think there's a variety of factors that factor into the business case. So ESG is a value creation for the business and kind of narrowing that down into what that value means to them. So for example, we'd get a 
better brand reputation, if we're aligning with more sustainability practices, especially if our competitors are doing the same. If our investors are doing, our investors are asking for this or our customers. So that really the brand is very important to executives and to the board. Risk mitigation is huge as well. So risks from legislation, risks from actual climate change and creating more resilient business. There's so many different risks that can be honed in on. And I think the transition risks from lagging behind in sustainability is huge. And I think by showing that if we don't take action now, you're going to incur different risks to the business. And actually, you can quantify a lot of those. So you could have insurance premiums, you could have risks to the buildings you're in, risks to your employees, risks to your reputation. Those actually have quantifiable metrics. And that piece is really a selling point for different initiatives. Also, understanding that employees now, especially younger employees, they're looking for companies who are more sustainable and embrace ESG, especially the S. I think that's a huge piece. And with the knowledge that climate change is looming, people also understand that the E is really important and having good governance brings that all together. So understanding that the board and senior management, CEO, they all have to be on board to create that governance process Mm -hmm. to enhance the ESG. And I think people know that and they look for companies to work for for that. So it's really, really a big piece of that. And I think just having broad-based stakeholder engagement creates a better company. And I think having that knowledge that by including people in, into your decision-making process, having a more inclusive design in terms of getting people involved in ESG creates a better company and that helps to sell it internally. There's many, many different points that you can say. Like for energy reductions, there's a clear financial benefit for aligning with net zero carbon. So many companies are signing up to be net zero If we don't do it, we're going to lag behind and we may lose business because of it. So every ESG project and question usually has a pretty good business case, I feel. (laughs) Fantastic. Mm, Thanks for sharing. Fantastic. This is kind of a wrap-up question. I'm trying to think of a different way to ask you this, this, this question. It's five years from today, maybe 10 at the most. And it's kind of like, what do you see about the future? But it's five years or it's 10 years and we're doing a podcast with you. What and It's around sustainability, but what would you want to talk about? I'd say in five or 10 years, I would love to talk about how we've solved climate change. <laughs> yeah, I knew this was, yeah. Maybe that's not the case, but in a more realistic sense, probably I would love to talk about how I'm, companies have disseminated ESG throughout entire organizations so that everybody understands and is responsible for thinking about whatever ESG topics relate to their roles. 
I always say that I want to work myself out of a job one day that we don't need sustainability teams because everyone will think about sustainability. Yeah, you're not the first guest that has said that their job is to work themselves out of a job. Yeah, but I mean, it also is about ESG strategy becoming the business strategy and you're just the strategist. Okay. Yeah, we sort of can see that happening because everything is converging. All the different parts of the organization have a stake in ESG that needs to be corralled in and really become aligned with pay for purpose to make it happen. Do you think that that will happen within five years? <laughs> It'll happen in, in some companies for sure. And we do a lot of engagement and it seems like people are very educated on climate change. Like we don't have to work on the why. When we go to any department and say, here's a gap that we'd love to fill, or can we create this strategy to make this piece more sustainable? Or can we look at this ESG topic in your department? There's no question. There's no, what's ESG? There's no, why are we doing this? It's just straight to, okay, cool. We want to be more sustainable. Right. But how do we do it? And I think that's a great thing that I'm seeing here. And I'd love to see that at more organizations. And they've done a really great job at Allied creating that broad ESG knowledge and dedication and trying to really have sustainability as part of their values and business. Yeah. I wish we could see more of that cost happen faster for companies that aren't really being true. Like, for instance, right now in California, I mean, we've had the impact of the gas prices go way up. Now they've shown that these same companies are making record profits, that there's a certain element of them just taking advantage of the marketplace. Things like that, how there's I wish people could respond faster to really make those people realize they're making the wrong wrong choice long-term for the brand and for the company. It's just a completely different way of thinking in a lot of cases. And of course, there's a lot of legislation that's coming out, at least in Canada, there's the carbon tax. But a lot of these big businesses who make a lot of money, they're not going to actually be financially, they don't. They're probably influenced by it in that as much as maybe the next company. Yeah, it's a lot of the investor pieces too, like BlackRock, targeting ESG. Huge. Yeah, that's huge. Huge. But we need pretty much every company, every investor platform to do that. But ESG investing is becoming really key and talking to a lot of investors that it's one of the things that they look at. And it's a lot of times it's the value of it or the importance of it is increasing over time. And I think to your point, how can it happen now? How can it be faster? How can we really have that cost and that implication be evident and influential to making a change? It's difficult, but I think it's happening. And well, I mean, I noticed that, I mean, just last week when Fink came out and said that. He's now going to promote more access of the owners of companies to interact 
with the management of companies on proxy things, that that, again, you're turning up the heat a little bit where they can't get away and they're going to be confronted with questions and wanting answers. And long term, you hope that that itself becomes a self, a correction, just having more engagement. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, We'll see. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you so much for your time. Are you as hopeful as I am that your generation and people under 30 are the ones that can really make a huge difference? I think so, honestly. Just seeing the sheer number of youth who go out to these client marches and who are participating in all the different cops and all the different assemblies, like it's really important that their voices are heard. And I think that they're being heard a lot more. They're the leaders of tomorrow, today. Yep. Like, yep. Yeah. So, I can't wait until they're in charge, <laughs> personally. <laughs> <laughs> they're the ones who are going to be impacted the most. We're the ones who are going to have to live with it more than the older generations. Yeah. Exactly. And if we decide to have children, there it's even worse, right? It's right. kind of understanding yeah. that, that it's, it's very the ones real. We need to make sure that everyone's accountable for it. And I think that the older generations will launch time they don't want to be for similar They don't want to be, but at the same time, they have come around where we've seen HR become more assertive about the Mm -hmm. fact that investors are going to feel, investors are already asking about that talent war that's 10, 20, 30 years out in the sense of where you're going to get, you've got to shape your company to attract. So there's hope. <laughs> yeah, there is definitely. hope. Yeah, got to stay hopeful and passionate. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you once again for your time. Yes. It's great. It's Greatly been nice talking it. with you. Yes. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Sustainable Minds wherever you get your podcasts. And please do live a review if you like what we're doing. It helps others discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. If you want to find out more about how we can help you evolve your corporate brand, culture, and ESG, head to bakerbrand.com. See you on the next episode of Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, core beliefs, and ESG.